podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two footed podcast on Thursday, the 27th of October. Had to check there for a second. Brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, and access the things you're geoblocked from. So, for example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day, Liberty Shield VPN can get you around the geoblock where it says this content is not available in your location and get you watching Match of the Day each and every Saturday night or whatever it is that you want from BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, all four Irish expats wanting RTE Player, same thing. U- US expats wanting Peacock, Hulu, same thing can also open up the full library of Netflix to you because you can set your IP for wherever you want, US, Canada, wherever, and get that catalogue. So go to libertyshield.com right now and use the code EPL25. That's EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company. Located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Do remember, with Christmas on the horizon, to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. And finally, do remember to check out the A Tad Predictable podcast on this feed every week before each match week, hosted by Tadiwa. Check out the power rankings, quite interesting. And check out the EPL Roundtable pod, which you'll find on its own feed. Just search EPL Roundtable for Kevin DeVries and the boys. Right, folks. Champions League is wrapped for a week. And we had some rather interesting outcomes last night. So let's start off with Inter Milan 4. Victoria Plisson nil, uh, Mkhitaryan two from Jekyll and Romelu Lukaku with the goals for Inter. That confirmed Inter through to the next round and more importantly confirmed Barcelona out and into the Europa League. And if that result wasn't enough for Barca, they then went and got thumped 3-0 by Bayern Munich. Sadio Mane, Chupa Moting and Benjamin Pavard with the goals for Bayern this was a Bayern team, by the way, missing uh, a couple of important players like, you know, Manuel Naur. Um, But this was a Barcelona team that played Marcus Alonso at centre-back and therefore deserved to lose heavily. So Barcelona are out. Into the Europa League they go. Bayern through as group winners. Inter through in second 
place. Barca, Thursday nights are where it's at. And Victoria Pleasant will finish bottom of the group. Look, I'm all for Barca in the Europa League because I think the Europa League is going to be an awful lot of fun when it returns after the World Cup break. Uh, Club Bruges nil, Porto four. Massive win for Porto. Two from Tarami, one for Ivanilson, and one for Estiquau. Great win because Bruges have been really good in this competition. And I'm not 100% certain, but that is close to their full strength 11, I think. It might be missing one at the back and one in midfield, but it's pretty close to Bruges' first 11. But Porto wiped the floor with them, and that is a really good win for them. Also in that group, Atletico Madrid 2, Leverkusen 2, Atletico Madrid out of the Champions League. And you'd have to say it's fair play. Yannick Carrasco, sorry, Moussa Diaby scored after nine minutes, put Leverkusen one up. Yannick Carrasco equalised after 22. Callum Hudson-Odoi made it 2-1 to Leverkusen on 29. Rodrigo de Paul equalised on 50. In the last minute, Atleti piled on the pressure, got a corner, ball was played into the box. Little bit of a scrap for the ball, gets cleared, Final whistle goes, game over. But no. No, that would have been normal. Instead, the Atleti players start appealing for a handball. It goes to VAR. VAR showed there are, in fact, two handballs by Leverkusen defenders in the box. And despite the fact that the final whistle is gone, it is a penalty to Atletico Madrid. Score... And you stay alive. Miss and you're out. No pressure then. Yannick Carrasco steps up. It is an awful penalty. An absolutely awful penalty. Gradeski makes a fairly routine save. On the rebound, Saul gets to it first. It's a little bit too high for me. Stretches and heads it. It hits the crossbar. It comes back out. And I'm not really sure who it was that took this last opportunity. But there's a left-footed strike which hits the very unfortunate Yannick Carrasco and sails over the bar. 2-2 and Atletico are out. Funnily enough, Leverkusen players celebrated like they'd won something uh, despite the fact that they're also out and bottom of the group. Um so Bruges are through, Porto are through. We don't know yet who'll top the group. Atleti and Leverkusen still competing for the Europa League spot. Atleti would be a stronger bet to go and do something in the Europa League. So I'm, I'm hoping it will be them rather than Leverkusen, who I think need to focus on domestic football. Um, Moving from there then, we had Tottenham won... Sporting one. Marcus Edwards scores after 22 minutes to put Sporting one up. Tottenham huff and puff and huff and puff, but can't blow the house down until 80 minutes when Rodrigo Bentoncourt manages to drag them level. And then it looked like they'd won it. A last gasp, Harry Kane goal. Celebrations galore. Conte is going absolutely buck wild on the sideline. 
only for VAR to interject and rule it offside. So 1-1 in that one. In the other game in that group, we had Eintracht at home to Marseille. Both of these teams are a little bit strange. Uh, Daichi Kamada put Eintracht one up on three minutes. Matteo Guendouzi equalised on 22. And Muani gave Eintracht a 2-1 lead on 27 that they would hold on to for the remainder of the game. Tottenham are top of that group on eight points. Sporting are second. Eintracht are third. Both of them have seven points. Marseille have six points. So any of those teams can still go through. Tottenham are top, but could still find themselves in the Europa League. Tottenham travelled to Marseille on the final day. That is going to be a tough game. Sporting will play Eintracht at home. So you would probably make Sporting the favourite to go through. A draw will do Tottenham. They only need to go and get a draw, and it is Conte, so he'll probably find a way. But Sporting topping the group would probably be what I'd lean towards right now. Though Spurs are more than capable of winning away in Marseille. I just think Sporting have the easier game. I think Spurs could get a draw, so could be Sporting top and Marseille second. And I actually have a feeling we could see three Portuguese teams win their groups. So I think Porto I think Porto could top their group because they're at home to Atleti who are now out and Leverkusen are home to Bruges and Bruges might not take that game all that seriously given they're already through. So we could see Porto top that group. Uh, we also have obviously the Benfica PSG group where PSG are currently top, but it's the same amount of points. PSG travel to Juventus, whereas Benfica play Maccabee. So you could see Juventus possibly pulling off something and getting a draw, whereas I think Benfica will definitely go and beat Maccabee. Unless they decide to rest a bunch of players, which is also obviously quite possible. Uh, the last two games then, Napoli 3, Rangers 0. Two for Gio Simeone, son of Diego Simeone. And one for former Brighton and Coventry legend, Leo Ostegaard, who started as part of a fairly heavily rotated Napoli team. Comfortable win for the home side. Rangers never really caused them any trouble. Haven't really caused anyone any trouble in this Champions League group. So Napoli stay top of the group. They are through. And joining them in the knockout stages will be Liverpool, who beat Ajax 3-0 last night. Played pretty dreadfully for the first 41 minutes. Scored on 42. Had the game wrapped up by 52. And then just kind of saw it out from there. Um, Somewhat of an undeserved win. Ajax should have been two up before Liverpool even, even sniffed the game. But it is what it is. You take the wins when they come. And Liverpool are second in the group. They face Napoli in the final game. Both sides likely to rest mostly everybody. Uh, Ajax will play Rangers at Ibrox in their last game. And if if Rangers, I think, would need to win 4-0 to go through. So barring that, 
Ajax will go through to the Europa League and Rangers will be out. So we could have Ajax, Atleti, Barcelona, potentially Tottenham, but I think more likely Eintracht or Marseille. Um, Salzburg, Shakhtar, Sevilla and Juve heading for the Europa League, which means that the Europa League is going to be very, very strong. Uh, and speaking of the Europa League, we obviously have a lot of games there tonight. We have eight at 5.45 UK time. Lazio at home to Mittelland. Zurich at home to Bodo Glimt. Ludogorets at home to Real Betis. Fenerbahce at home to Rennes. Malmo at home to Union St. Gilles. Larnica at home to Dinamo Kiev. PSV Eindhoven at home to Arsenal. And Union Berlin at home to Braga. So decent games there. PSV Arsenal, probably the standout game. Um, and then in the late games, it is which are 8 p.m. UK, it's HJK Helsinki at home to Roma. Ferenc Varos at home to Monaco. Sturm Graz at home to Feyenoord. Manchester United at home to Sheriff Tiraspol. Freiburg at home to Olympiakos. Red Star Belgrade at home to Trabzonspor. Nantes at home to Quarabeg and Ammonia at home to Real Sociedad. As things stand, Group A has Arsenal through. No concerns there. PSV second. Need a point tonight to probably see themselves through. And Bodo in third, which would mean they drop into the Conference League. Group B, Fenerbahce and Wren are through. It's between Larnaca and Kiev to get a spot in the Conference League. Uh, Real Betis are top of Group C. Ludogorets are third. Roma are fourth. Betis are as good as through. I think they might already be through. Um, Roma need to get their act together, or they will drop in into the Conference League, which obviously they won last season, and maybe they'd be happy enough with that. In Group D, Union St. Gilles are top. Braga second, Union Berlin third. Still some work to be done there to secure spots in the knockouts or condemn yourself to the uh, Conference League. Malmo are toast. In Group E, Real Sociedad are through. Manchester United will go through with a result tonight. But you never know. Maybe Sheriff can, maybe Sheriff can stun them again. Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. Um, United obviously did win that game, but Sheriff gave them such a tough time, especially second half, and De Gea had to make some big, big saves in that one. Um, you'd expect United to get the result tonight and sail through. In Group F, it is all to play for. Mitterland, Feyenoord, Lazio and Sturmgratz all on five points. A bizarre group. Anybody could go through. Uh, in Group G, we get Freiburg, they're through. Quarabeg is almost through. Nantes third. And Olympiacos, bottom disastrous campaign for them. And then in Group H, Ferenc Varos are top. Trabzonspor are second. Monaco third. And Red Star are fourth. Ferenc Varos should progress. But... It's a little bit tight there in that group. So what happens here is the winners of the group 
they progress to the round of 16. The runners up in the group, they then face a, a team who's finished third in a Champions League group. And then the winner of that goes into the round of 16. So that's how we're working that. The third place team, they drop into the Conference League where they will face the runner-up of a Conference League group while the winners of Conference League groups go forth and prosper in the round of 16. And the bottom two teams in the Conference League, they're out. We do have Conference League games as well tonight, so we'll just quickly run through them. Um, Early kickoffs again, 5.45. Vados at home to Alkmaar. Fiorentina at home to Istanbul, Besiktasire. Anderlecht at home to Stoja Bucharest. Slovakko at home to Cologne. Nice at home to Partizan. Villarreal at home to Bresheva. First game for Kike Setien. Interesting one. That's the one I might watch of the early kickoffs, to be fair. Austria Vienna at home to Lech Poznan. And Dnipro at home to... Oh, no. Dnipro at home to Apollon was moved to the later kickoff. So there's seven on the early and nine on the late. The other eight on the late then is Sivaspor versus Cluj, Slovan Bratislava versus Pionic, Basel versus Algiris, Hearts versus ORFS, West Ham versus Silkberg, Balkany versus Slavia Prague, Shamrock Rovers versus Ghent, Molde versus Jurgarden. Uh Besiktas are through. Fiorentina result tonight will put them through. West Ham are through. Siltberg and Anderlecht in the mix for second. Villarreal are through. It's between Poznan and Beersheva for the second place spot. Partizan looking good value to go through, not confirmed yet as group winners. Uh, nice, Cologne and Slovakko all competing for the second spot. Alkmaar as good as through. Dnipro and Apollon can still get there if results go right for them. Uh, but not both of them. So Alkmaar are through for all intents and purposes. Uh, Jurgarden, top group F. Molde second, Ghent third. It looks like that's the the way it will finish. Sivispor are top of group G on goal difference from Cluj. They're both four points ahead of Slavia Prague and Balkany. So still all to play for there. And in group H, Basel, Pionic, Slovan Bratislava and Zalgiris all to play for there. So still a lot to be decided in the Conference League more than the rest. Um, I hope that's giving you the right, a, a, a clear break then. So top two in the Champions League group go through to the round of 16 in the Champions League. The third place team in the Champions League drops into the Europa League. The fourth place team is out. In the Europa League, the top team goes through to the round of 16. The second place team faces one of those Champions League third place finishers who've dropped in. And then the winner of that goes into the round of 16. The third place team goes into the Conference League and fourth place is out. And then in the Europa League, the first place team go into the round of 16 the second place team finish a third place finisher from the Europa League. And then the winner of that will go into the round of 16. And then third and fourth are 
sent home. That is basically how the cascading effect of Europe works this year. And with that, we'll take a break. When we come back, we've got quite a few questions. I don't know if I've got enough time to get through them all today, but I'm going to make a good old bash at it. So I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So we're going to jump straight into questions, starting with Sports Lens. He has sent, I want to say, five. We'll go through as many as we can. Rank these guys at their best. Aguero, Suarez, Lewandowski, Benzema, Kane and Zlatan. Suarez first. I would say Zlatan second, Benzema third, Kane fourth, Lewandowski fifth and Aguero sixth. Uh, how long do you think it will take for China to be a global powerhouse in football? Well, considering America's real introduction to the world game, if you want to say, was the 94 World Cup, and they're still not a global powerhouse 18 years later, with all the resources they've put into it, I think it could be 30 years. Now, there are ways to speed that up, but the Chinese just seem to flit from one idea to the next. They pump loads of money in and then they shut it back down. We'll see what happens, but I I, I don't know that it will happen anytime soon. Uh, you have a one-off football match. Which manager and 11 would you pick throughout football history that would, able, would enable you to win? I'm going Capello as manager. I'm picking Buffon in goal. Zanetti, right back. Maldini, left back. My centre-backs will be Nesta and Virgil van Dijk. In midfield, I'm going with a double pivot of Redondo and Roy Keane. I'm going to play Maradona and Zidane as attacking midfielders in like a box midfield where they drop wide off the ball. And then up front, I'll play Messi off the original Ronaldo. That would be it. One-off game. I think those players make it work. They've, a bunch of them have all, also played together in charity matches, so there'd be a bit of um, a bit of you know comfort in the fact that they've already played some games together. What eleven and manager? What would be your 11 and manager that encapsulates your personality, values, and ideals as a person? Um, again, I would say Capello as manager, though I would I would I do have a strong affinity for Diego Simeone. Um I would say the back four I picked, with one exception, I would put Turam in for Zanetti, even though Zanetti is my favourite right-back of all time, I would go Turam, Nesta, Virgil, and Maldini. Buffon will remain the goalkeeper. Um, Keane and Redondo are, are absolutely in. But I'm going to play Lothar Mateus on the right of that midfield with licence to get forward, but also, you know, tuck back in form a three. I'm going to play Michael Laudrup on the left wing. I'll go Baggio and 
Baggio and Batistuta as my front two. So hardworking, little bit of creativity, little bit of flair. And, you know, very, very handsome. That's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> so that's that one. And finally, what would be your 11 of inconsistent footballers you've seen? Okay. Um, Paliuka would be the goalkeeper. Incredibly gifted, but inconsistent. Um, in defence, Mamadou Sacco has to be in there. Really good on his day, but inconsistent. I'm going to go for guys, man, Alberto Moreno at left back. On his day, very, very good. No one can deny that, but hugely inconsistent. Uh, the other centre-back spot... This will be a little bit controversial, but Mats Hummels, very inconsistent across his career. At right back... At right back. Jel Canseo. I think he's one of the most inconsistent players in world football. I think his whole career has been inconsistency. And there's also, you know, inconsistencies in, in his effort. So defensively, he's dreadful. Even his game is so inconsistent. He's really good one way and really bad the other. So Jel Canseo at right back. Uh, midfield, Jack Grealish, hugely inconsistent. He has... Fixed a lot of the inconsistency issues, but Wilf Zaha still has to be in. So I'll play Wilf on the right, Grealish on the left. Central midfield. Central midfield. Gaza. Gaza as one of my midfielders. And for the other one... I am going to go. Hmm. I'm tempted to go Paulins, but he was more consistent than inconsistent. Um. Do you know what Jorginho? Jorginho is incredibly inconsistent. Can be really good one game and the worst player you've ever seen the next. So I'll go him. Jorginho and Gaza in the middle of midfield. And up front, Rooney, whether people like to admit it or not, was wildly inconsistent. Look at the goal scoring numbers. And Emil Heskey. Emil Heskey. So inconsistent. When he was on, he was unstoppable. But those were like one and three at one and four. So that's my 11 there. Uh, right. Moving on. Theo Saki, Enzo Lefay, Lefay, Enzo Lefay, David Fratesi, uh, Davide Fratesi, and Lovro Meyer. Should Liverpool sign any of them? Yes. I like all three of them. I, I love Lovro. I, I love Lovro. And if you're sticking with 4 4 2 and, you, and Klopp likes the idea of Harvey Elliott as the right sided one, Lovro is Harvey, but a much better version. So I would go him there. If you want to play the 4-4-2, but with the ability to flex back into the three, have that right side be more of a narrow player, more of a midfielder, Fratezzi is perfect for that role. And Enzo, Enzo 
he is one of those who'd be on my short list of people to be the Thiago successor. He'd be third, I think, on it, maybe fourth. Enzo Fernandez is top. Kakaret is second. Lafie would be in the mix for third. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be against any of them. I think they're all very, very good players. Uh, and all obviously very, well, not very young. Lovro's 24, 25. Uh, Fratesi, I think, is 23, 22 maybe. And Enzo Lafie, I think, is 22. So young players with plenty of potential. Potential, not potential. Potential. Uh, Alex, where would these English players that are currently playing abroad be best suited in the Premier League? Okay, so he's got Steffi Mavadidi, who currently plays up front for Montpellier, former Arsenal Academy player, left to go to Juventus, didn't really get the opportunities. He's done well at Montpellier. He's quick. He's strong. I think he's best in a two. I don't think he's someone that is going to score a lot of goals as an out-and-out nine. So I think he's better off with somebody else. I think he's probably a lower half of the table team. I would look at someone like Leeds. He might even just be a backup, but I would look, yes. So Leeds as a backup to uh, Bamford, he could be a decent fit. I'd like to see him alongside Solanke for Bournemouth. I think that's something that could work. Um, he is a very Brighton player. He does remind me a bit of Danny Welbeck in how he plays. Um, Etienne Green, Leicester. Leicester. Leicester need a young, high-potential goalkeeper because Danny Green just isn't good enough. I would say Leicester. Reese Oxford is a player I've always liked. I still unsure as to why things didn't work out at West Ham. Um can play in defense, can play in midfield. That type of versatility is always, always valuable. Again, he could be one for Leicester if Ndidi were to leave, because you could play him in that number six position. Though I do believe he's more comfortable as a centre-back. Again, Leicester could do with a couple of centre-backs, but uh, if I had to pick one, I'd put him at Brentford. I'd put him at Brentford. I think he'd suit Brentford playing either in a three or a four. Good ball player from the back. I think he'd be a good Pontus Janssen uh, replacement upgrade, whatever you want to frame it as. Um, Noni, Noni Mudeki, I love. Uh, give me him at Liverpool as the Salah backup slash potential successor. Different type of player, but I think he's got a huge, huge potential to become a really good player. And Ronaldo Vieira, um, would you all believe me if I told you his twin brother's name was Romario. That is fact. That is fact. Uh, his father named him and his twin brother Ronaldo and Romario after the Brazilian front pair. That is one of my favorite things. He is formerly 
of uh, the Leeds Academy and was at, in the Leeds first team for a couple of years, has been at Sampdoria since 2018, has kind of fallen out of favour a bit. But this season he's playing a bit more than he did last year. Uh, again, I think you're looking more at the lower half of the table. You're looking at your Bournemouths. Potentially Crystal Palace could do with someone like him in midfield. Um, Yeah, Bournemouth to Crystal Palace for him. Where would this team finish in the Premier League and how much would you have to be paid to watch them every week? Oh, yes, this is my 11 all day. Jose Sangal, Joel Ward, Thiago Silva, Tyron Mings and Luke Shaw at the back. This is, people are going to have to do a lot of work. A lot of work here. Uh, midfield three, Granit Xhaka sitting in. Jordan Henderson and John McGinn bombing forward as number eights. And a front three of William, Danny Welbeck, and Jack Grealish. Managed by Super Frankie the Tory. Where would that team finish? <laughs> Honestly, they've got a lot of experience. There's just no goals in the team. Like, there's no goals at all. You're going to be heavily reliant on set pieces. Silva might get you two or three a season. Mings might get you two or three a season. Um, Jacques is in good goal-scoring form this current season, but nobody believes that this form is going to last. Henderson and McGinn are probably good for two or three goals a season each, uh, maybe. Uh, Willian is three goals a season. Grealish is probably six a season. And Danny Welbeck is eight a season. So you're not going to score very many. Your best bet is to just try and shithouse your way through. Swearing is necessary here. Is to shithouse your way through. Uh, I would actually play Grealish as the false nine. Welbeck on the wing. Bed in as a 4-5-1. Try and get the ball to Grealish. Let him draw fouls so you can step out. Pump those balls into the box and hope for the best. I think that team finishes bottom. How much would you need to pay me to watch that team? How many games? All the games? It's a grand a week. It's a grand a week to watch that absolute tripe. So you're, th you're talking 38 grand for the league games and you're talking two grand for the cup games because it's absolutely going out in the early rounds. Uh, under Super Frank. Um, yeah, you're talking 40 grand for the year to watch that level of tripe. Like, that is horrendous. And let's let's just talk up what that team cost. Jose Sa, I think, was at 8 million. Now, Jose Sa is the best, is, is a good goalkeeper. He's he's done well since going to Wolves. Uh, Joel Ward, I think, was an academy player. If not, he was fairly cheap. Silva was a free. Uh, Villa paid 20 million for Mings. Um, Luke Shaw cost United 35 million eight years ago, so that's probably 50 million easily now. Granite Jacket was 35 40 million six years ago, so that's probably 50 million now. Jordan Henderson was 20 million a decade ago or 11 years ago, so that's probably 40 million now. 
Uh, John McGinn, I think, was only about six million or whatever. Um, Willian was free. Jack Reader was a hundred million pounds, and Danny Welbeck was free because no one else wanted him. That team is an abomination, and I can't believe my eyes have been soiled with that. So we're going to move away from Twitter. Guy has sent me a couple of questions that came through. And let's see. So, uh, 87. If Liverpool had a multi-club model, in which countries should we invest? Um, what would be the best country in Europe if we just bought one, right? If we had a multi-club model, I was I would say Brazil, Portugal, Austria. They'd be the three countries I'd look at. Brazil, so that you can get a lot of South American talent. Portugal is a really good pathway from Brazil. Similar language, whether the style of play is similar enough as well. So, And then you can move them from there on to Liverpool. Austria, because weirdly enough, I just think it's a really good place to have a base. And I think we've seen with, with Salzburg what they've been able to do, especially in terms of the pipeline for African talent. Now, I would say it would also be very beneficial to buy a team in Africa and a team in Asia uh, and scout heavily there. Uh, like I, I think Ghana is becoming quite a hotbed. I think Nigeria's always got a lot of talent coming out of it. Um, so maybe you'd look at somewhere kind of sort of sub-Sahara and then maybe Egypt as well, just to keep Salah happy. Um, but if we could just do one in Europe, I would do Portugal. I'd buy Boa Vista. Boa Vista would be the club I'd buy. And that's where I would bring players through. And finally, this is from Mikhail Campbell. Where does Romelu Lukaku rank in your recent discussions of great number nines? I, I don't know how I forgot Romelu Lukaku yesterday. Romelu Lukaku would be not as good as Kane. He's not as refined as Kane. He obviously has a lot more power and he's very, very quick when he's at his best. And he scores a lot of bully ball goals and he's a little bit of a flat track bully. But I would put him below Kane for sure. Of the generation, he'd be second to Kane. Of the, you know, 25 to 29 now, he's second, or Kane might be 30, 25 to 30, say, he'd be second to Harry Kane. Moving on to Discord. Uh, we are approaching Movember. What is your all-time moustache 11? Oh, dear. Uh, this is from the Mauritian one. So let's... I hadn't hadn't prepared myself. Um, I would say Bruce Grobbler has to be the goalkeeper. Always had a very good mustache, so Bruce is is in. Um, you're basically going to be looking at players from the seventies and and eighties, aren't you? I can't imagine there's there's many others. David Seaman. Oh, maybe David Seaman should have been. In the goalkeeper. No, I'm gonna go Grobbler. I'm gonna go Grobbler. Um Frank De Boer. No, not Frank De Boer. Frank Reichardt had a great mustache in the early 90s. So I'm gonna put him in as um 
my one of my centre backs next to Mark Lawrenson. I'm gonna play Giuseppe Bergami at right back. At left back. Do you know what? I'll, I could have gone Tommy Smith. He had a great mustache as well. I don't want to make this an old Liverpool. Eleven though is the only thing. Um Claudio Gentile. We'll go Claudio Gentile at left back. He had a great mustache for a little while. So we'll go with him. So I've got Bergamy and Gentile. Do you know what? I'm going to go Tommy Smith, Mark Lawrence in, in central defence. Ahead of Grobelar. We'll do that. We'll move Rijkaard into midfield. We're going to pair him with Rude Hullet, who also had a, an outstanding moustache in the late 80s. So we'll have those two in central midfield. If I'm not mistaken, Carlos Valderrama, yes, indeed. Carlos Valderrama had a great tash. So he's going to be in. We're going to play him. Um, going to play him on the right of midfield, I suppose. Do you know what? We'll move Huller to the left. Valderrama to the right, and they'll play as kind of twin tens who drop wide because I've missed the best mustache ever. It's got to be Graham Souness in next to uh, in next to Rijkaard, and then up front it's Ian Rush and it's Rudy Vuller, and nothing will dissuade me that those are the two best mustachioed front men ever. Manager has got to be Vincente Del Bosque, has got to be. And the award for the worst moustache ever goes to Joey Barton, who should be ashamed of what he put forward. Um, shame on you, Joey Barton. Uh, fact, 1977, can you take a strong look at Palace? It seems the transition play is so much slower this season. It is... It's partly Gallagher, which you've mentioned... It's partly Ulysses played not a whole lot and he's still working his way back from that foot injury. It has been slower, for sure. There, But it's also because they're a little bit more controlled this season. Because they've got Eze and Dekuri in there, they're a little bit more measured in midfield. I think the best way to fix their chance creation is just to get Ulysses back into the team. I do also believe that they need to find another midfielder because I I love Decore, I love Eze. The third midfield position is not working for them. It can't be Olise with Eze in a three. You could work that as a box four with another holding player in next to Decore and then Zaha plus Edward as a front two or Zaha Matata, whichever you prefer. You'd need to upgrade you're right back because you'd be getting narrower, but, but they need to upgrade their right back anyway. Um, how do they upgrade the transition play? The other the, in, in terms of improving the transition play this season, getting Elise back because he can carry the ball over distance. I think Eze needs to be given a bit more freedom to carry the ball as well, but a, a lot comes on having that base for those two to be confident to go and play with. Um, 
I'd like to see them change away from the four three three to a four four two with a box two a box four in midfield. Play Elise and Ezzy where they can play wide or they can come narrow. One can come wide, the other can stay narrow, and they can all they can just move like that and get Zaha in closer to the striker. But they've got to get a central midfielder in next to Dakure. They've got to get a better right back. They've got to get a better right back. Do those two things. I think they're fine. Um, okay, let's move on from there. What is this? Okay. AMK2889. What is your opinion on the following players? Overrated, underrated, could or couldn't have hit the potential they were said to have. Move too early, move too late, move too often. Played in the wrong position or wrong league or wrong attitude. Right, the first name on the list here is Ruben Delared. I was a big, big fan of Ruben Delared. Unfortunately, his career came to an abrupt halt due to a heart condition. And I, I don't think anything else. Like that, that condition was going to happen regardless. He was 23 when the heart condition was found. It was 2008. He retired in 2010. I don't think much else could have happened. He'd come through at Real. He'd gone to Hitafe. He had an outstanding season at Hitafe, running games in midfield, had gotten himself into the national team picture and was really looking like he could be the future for Spain in midfield. He was also heavily linked to Liverpool around that time because Rafa Benitez wanted him. Uh, he went back to Real. They found the heart problem, and that was all she wrote. Very, very unfortunate player, but a really good player. And I don't think you could look at his career in any way and say that he was responsible for what happened. Um, Antonio Di Natale. Loved him. Absolutely loved him. For me... I think he always liked being the big fish in the smaller pond. And there's there's a history of players like this in Serie A, like players who get to a club, begin well, and the fans adore them and they just, they're happy there, they're comfortable with, with life and they don't chase bigger things. Um, Di Natale, I think, is one of those uh, the greatest player in Udinese history, almost certainly moved there at 27. So it wasn't like 26, almost 27. It wasn't like he was a young player going there. Uh, he'd done fairly well for Empoli. Had a couple of good seasons before getting the move. Um, I, yeah, I just think he, I think he loved it. I, I, I wouldn't be, I've said before, I'd love to see Wilf Zaha stay his career. At Palace, I would have liked to see Grealish do the same at Villa and just be a one-club icon. Um, now, I know that Italy played was owned by two different clubs and played for five clubs during his career because he had three loans from Empoli, but he is, he is the epitome of a legend at Udinese. Uh, Sully Montari. I don't want to say bad attitude, but there was always rumours of a bad attitude. He moved far too often. Like, what on earth was going on with his career? Udinese till 23. Portsmouth a year. Into Milan. Sunderland and Milan on loan from them. Then Milan. Itihad. 
Hiscara. There was always rumours about his attitude. I, I don't know whether they're true or not, but there was always some rumours about his attitude, his dedication and training. Um, good player, but I, I kind of feel in a way he almost overachieved by playing for clubs like Inter and Milan because I don't feel like he was that calibre of player. Um, Benjani, I, I just think he was overrated, to be honest. Um, if you look at his career, he had that one good season with Portsmouth. It had largely been averaged there. He did one season with Auxerre where he was good. Went to City, it was a mess. And from there on, he was just a journeyman who barely scored. I just think he was overrated. Uh, Nico Cranchar. Um... Nico Cranchar was an odd player. Very talented. Very, very talented. But never... Harry Redknapp is the manager that trusted him the most, and Harry Redknapp wasn't a great manager. So I just don't feel like he played for the right managers in his career, being honest. I don't feel like he played for the right man. He played for Harry Redknapp at three different clubs. I don't feel like he was the right... He was put in the right places to play. Uh, and also moved a little bit too much. Halil Altantop. Halil Altantop was a good player, as was his brother, it must be said. But I think they kind of maxed their talent. Now, the one thing I would say with Halil is he moved far too often. He played for too many clubs. And I think he suffered a little bit where he had, you know, moved to a club, had a bad season or a, or a down season, and then settled in and would do well and then would be on the move again. Uh, Hamid Altentop, I think, is the better of the two. And I think they both had good careers in general. But Hamid got, you know, a big move to Bayern Munich from Schalke, whereas Halil stayed at Schalke. Uh, having gone to Schalke to join his brother, um, his brother was off a year later, and he went to Bayern and, you know, Halil ended up at Eintracht Frankfurt, Trabzonspor, Augsburg. Both good players, though, and I think they both had good careers. Marco Marin, always hugely overrated, and I can speak from, you know, having seen him from a young age, he arrived at Werder Bremen at 20, and he was just always inconsistent. Always inconsistent. I never understood it why Chelsea bought him, and if you look at his career, I mean, he had, he had a bit of a decent time with Olympiacos. He had one really good season there. Uh, he had a good season with Red Star Belgrade, and that's basically it. His first season with Werder was the best, and then it got progressively worse. Yeah, just overrated for me. Um, Johan Gorkov. It would have been impossible for him to live up to the hype. It would have been impossible. He was tagged as the next the next Zidane. And he had players saying, you know, older players saying, oh, he's the best player of the generation and things like this. And he just, he, he needed to stay at smaller clubs. At Rennes and at Bordeaux, he was a star. But he struggled at Milan and he struggled at Lyon. He was best as a big fish in a small pond where the team was built to his strengths and he could just do his thing. 
super talented, but there was no way he could live up to the hype and needed to be at a smaller club where things would be catered to him. I think the exact same of Hatton Ben Arfa, though I do think he underachieved massively. I think he's one of the most gifted players I've ever seen. I think he was sensationally talented, but hugely inconsistent. And just it couldn't be arsed doing any defensive work. Has he finally retired? No, he's he's still technically a, an active player. Um Leal sacked him basically uh last season. Very, very strange. Very strange character. Just couldn't really control himself. But when you look at where he was great, like he was great in the year at Nice. <laughs> was it him and Balotelli together? Was that that year? Or was Balotelli the year after? Balotelli might have been the year after. Yeah, he was. Balotelli was the year after. Um, he had a great year at Nice. He did well at Rennes. But, you know, PSG just couldn't fit. Started off like a house on fire at Newcastle but became very, very frustrating very, very quickly. So I, I would say um, I would say he's won that kind of the master of his own demise. Fernando Gago left Boca Juniors too early. He was only 20 when he made the move to Real and he wasn't ready. He just wasn't ready for that move. And unfortunately never had the career he should have had. Gago was very, very talented. It's just unfortunate, never really worked for me. He was really good when he went back to Boca. Really good when he went back to Boca. And if you're not aware, he's currently manager of Racing Club and came very, very close to uh, causing some major upset in uh, recent weeks. But yeah, he, he looks, uh, looks a decent manager and I always liked him as a player. Is he? He is still the manager. I'm almost certain he is still the manager. Um, yeah, yes, he, he is the manager. Yeah, he's the manager of Racing Club. Yeah, but regardless, he is. He was a very talented player. I very much like watching him play, and uh, it's just a shame that it's just a shame that he didn't have the career he should have had. Uh, Nilmar da Silva. Geez, this is a throwback. Nilmar was super talented when he broke through and was just so badly advised through his career. So he goes from International to Leon at 20, really struggles to settle in, goes back to Brazil with Corinthians, plays there for two years, then he jumps back to International. By this point, he's 25 and he's on his, his fourth club. Because well, third club would, you know, fourth spell. Uh, then he goes to Villarreal, which was the wrong move for him. And then at 28, he's up and away to Al Rayan in Qatar. Now, if I'm not mistaken, when he, he was at International, there was loads of hassle over over Corinthians and how it had all worked. And I, I can't really remember the details, but basically the, the it kind of torpedoed his career at Corinthians 
Um, he ends up at International, has one really good year. And then in his last year there, goes absolutely buck wild in the State League and impresses everybody. There was a, a magazine cover of him at some point where it talked him up as like the next big thing. Going to come back on this vengeance tour from Brazil. And it just didn't work. Ended up at, at Villarreal. Did okay. Like he was pretty good for Villarreal for two years. Had a bad year and off to Al Real, And that was kind of it for him. Um, I think poorly advised, moved too often. Jan Veniger of Hesselink, best name in the history of football. Um, I think he had about the career that that made sense. To be honest, I don't know that I'd look at his career any way other than positive. Started out with 20, did well there, earned a move to PSV, did very well there, scored a whole bundle of goals for PSV. Wasn't necessarily... Um, a primary goal scorer team like to be kind of selfless would, would set a lot of players up. Went to Celtic had two good years there and then went to Hull, ended up with rapid Vienna and back at PSV as his career kind of fizzled out. But yeah, I think he had a good career. I don't think he's underrated or overrated. I think he just had the career he should have had. Um, Joaquin is one of my favorite players of the last 20 years. I think Valencia was the wrong move for him when he went there from Betis the first time. I think he probably should have left Spain. If he wasn't going to Real or Barca, I think he should have left Spain. I think he would have been sensational in England. So I would say Valencia. And then like Malaga, Fiorentina, he lost a lot of time in the middle of his career. And he was 34 by the time he went back to Betis. And that was seven years ago. And he's still playing. And not only is he still playing, he's still playing fairly well. And quite a lot. Last season, he played 37 games. 30 the year before, 36 the year before that. Scored 10 goals in 1920 at the age of 38, almost 39, which is the second highest total of his career after the 0203 season, um, made the wrong moves. Made the wrong moves. Should have won so much more. Like he should have been part of the Spain squads in 08, 10, and 12. His Spanish career ended in 07 with 51 caps. He was 26 the last time he played for Spain. I know he fell out with Arago Luis Aragonas, but he should have been part of that. He was part of that generation. He was part of that golden generation and would have just given them you know, something a little bit different. And obviously they didn't need it because they won three international terms in a row. But he should have been part of that. He really should have been part of that. Um, I mean, for the career, three Copa del Reyes, two with Betis, one with Valencia, uh, runner-up in the Copa Italia with Fiorentina. That's it. 
should have been so much more underachieved for the talent he had. Still a great player to watch. Uh, and that is it. That is, oh no, we have, sorry, we have one more question. Actually, it's two questions. Uh, Isaac Gilding, can you let us know a couple of good Sabutio follows after its mention on the pod yesterday? Oh, I suppose I can. I would suggest, um, let me see, RAS Sabutio. I've got a little list here. RAS Sabutio, the casual Sabutio club. Check that one out. Uh, Sabutio Alive is a good one. Finger Flicking Good. It's at Good Flicking. It's a podcast dedicated to Sabutio. At Sabutio P is a great one. Sabutio Passion. Um, at Sabutio Online. That's a quite a big account. Uh, at Sabutio Legends. At Sabutio Collect. At Scam82, chap called Sean Malloy. And at English Sabutio, the English Sabutio Association. So there you go. Um, that's, I, I think that's about as much. If you follow any of them, then obviously you're going to get suggestions of others. But at RAS underscore Sabutio, at Sabutio Alive, at Good Flicking, no G, at Sabutio P, at English Sabutio, at Sabutio Online, at Sabutio Legends, at Sabutio Collect, and at Scam underscore 82. And finally, with the World Cup coming up, wondering if you can make an 11 of one World Cup wonders. Players that maybe earned a move or hype off the performances during a World Cup, but for the rest of their careers are bad to average. El Hadj Juff is the captain of this team. The captain and, and, and co-manager of this team. Um, yeah, sure. Oh, I sorry, before I do this, one other player I wanted to mention from the list that AMK gave me was Thomas Brolin. Because um, I got asked whether he was up to much. Thomas Brolin was brilliant when he was young. When he was at Parma, and it was Brolin, Zola, and Aspria as the front three in what was the first great Parma team. He was so exciting as an attacking midfielder who could break the lines with his dribbling, could score a goal, very creative player. He was outstanding. Really good for Sweden as well. Starring role in the 92 Euros. But his career ended for all intents and purposes in 1995. At the age of 26, he moved to Leeds and he put on a sight of weight because of a broken bone that he'd had in his foot that stopped him from being able to train. He retired permanently in 2000, sorry, in 98. Um, he Leeds paid a, a chunk of money for him. Leeds paid, I want to say near enough five and a half million for him. 
it was meant to be him and Yeboah. That was the pairing they were going to have. Speed on the right. Oh, sorry, speed on the left. They didn't have Batty anymore. I can't remember who was in midfield, but that was what they were going to build around. And it just it never worked. Um, I think he played. Was it six? No. What did he play for Leeds? Um, 19 games. Did score 20 games. Did score four goals, to be fair. But he'd missed most of the previous season with the foot injury. Had missed the, most of the start of that season. Leeds bought him and it was just a disaster. He went on loan to FC Zurich. Didn't work. Went on loan back to Parma. Didn't work. Went on loan to Crystal Palace. Didn't work. And went to some team in Sweden and it just none of it worked. None of it worked. His international career, which had looked so promising, was over at the age of 26 in, in 1995. But he was such a good player before the foot injury, before he put on all the weight. He could dribble, he could pass, he was strong. He looked like he had a, a bit of the dog in him as well, but then once he got hurt and put on weight, he just didn't care anymore. Um, I hope whatever he does, he, he's, he's happy and living a good life because he was a lot of fun to watch. And like I say, back in the early days of the kind of the rise of Parma, him, Aspria, and then Zola when he joined them, they were just so much fun. So much fun. Really, really enjoyed it. Melly was there as well. Crippa. Oh, yeah. Those 90s. Those 90s teams back in. Back in Syria were just different class. So many fun ones to look back on. Um, Right. World Cup. One World Cup 11s. Um, okay. That's tight. We'll start up front because that's generally where people do stupid things. Stefan Givarsh had a good World Cup, you'll remember, in 1980-1998. And somehow Newcastle paid a whole chunk of money for him and it turned out he wasn't very good. Elhaj Juff would be alongside him. In central midfield, Juff's teammate Salif Jiao must reside. I'm going to cheat a little bit here because I'm running short on time. I'm going to include players who've done well in things like European Championships and earned a move. So for that, I'm putting in Karol Paborski because, by God, was he dreadful. But fooled everybody after a, a good tournament in, in, in 1996 at the Euros. This was more commonplace for this to happen for... um. Players to have a good international tournament and then earn a move off the back of it in the 90s. So, for example, John Jensen, I'm putting in, uh, but I'm not actually... Did he? I, I assume Arsenal signed him off the back of the 92 Euros. Yes, yes, they did. Arsenal signed him off the back of the... 92 euros where he obviously scored that outrageous goal in the final so um gonna have john jensen in there let me go through some of these squads and pick out a few others 
who got moves. Torben Picnic. Uh, he, I don't think, I don't think, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Torben Picnic might be a contender here at centre-back. He was part of that national team. I think he played okay in one or two of the games. And um, Graham Souness bought him. He'd only just gone to Copenhagen. And Graham Souness leapt in both feet. So we'll have him. Uh, doesn't tend to be English players, obviously. Um... There'll be a few in the Romania squad of 94 because they did well and a few of them earned moves after but turned out to be fairly average. Now, one of them is a player that I, I really enjoyed watching, um, Ili Dimitrescu. Spurs bought him off the back of the World Cup, but he was largely average for the rest of his career. So we're going to put Dimitrescu in. Also at that World Cup, the Bulgarians did very well, and I remember a couple of them got questionable moves. Um, what group are Bulgaria in? There we go. Um, What do I need? I need a goalkeeper. I need three defenders. A goalkeeper and three defenders. Aktavia oh. only exists as Spain's left back. Yeah, but he didn't get a move, did he? Well, you said that's only part of the question, though. <laughs> yeah, but he was... I don't even know if he existed, so could I he I mean, move? he played for Espanyol, Atleti, Deportivo. To be fair, he did get a move to Villarreal the year before the first international tournament that he won in 08. No, I don't think he counts. He he'd been he'd been solidly mediocre for years and he was just a fella. He was only the Spanish left back because Spain didn't have any other left backs. Like let's be honest now. He wasn't he wasn't the team because he was pulling up trees, but I think he's okay. Um oh this could be one. Yes. Stefan Schwartz. He was more nominally a midfielder. But I'm going to put him in at left back. Arsenal bought him after that 94 World Cup, and he was absolutely dreadful for them. Uh, went on to Fiorentina, it was fairly dreadful for them. And uh, yeah, he is absolutely in. Um, right, so he's in. Who else do we have in the 94 World Cup? There's always a couple. There's always a couple that do really well and, and get a move and you just look at it and think, what on earth was somebody thinking there? Like, Daniel Amakachi did well in the 94 World Cup for Nigeria. So Everton spent a ball of money on him. I might just go and stick him in. This is not going to be in a proper eleven, but I, I'm I, at this point I don't care. <laughs> so I'm going to look for one more defender. 
Um, and one who can play in goal. It doesn't even matter if they are a goalkeeper at this point. Um, do you know who the guy is? I've got this. Uh, 1998 Argentina World Cup squad. Is it Carlos Roja? Is that his name? The fella that was the mad Jesus guy. Didn't he get a move after that? No, he didn't. No, he retired shortly after the World Cup. Oh. Look, I'm putting him in because he was great in 98 and he was absolutely awful for most of the rest of his career. So he, he'll work. Uh, maybe didn't get a move, but probably, probably only didn't get a move because he retired. That's what I'm going to go with. Um, need one more. Need a centre back. Need a centre back. There was definitely a Greek centre back who moved off the back of Euro two thousand and four. Has to have been. Has to have been at least one Greek player that earned a move off the back of that European Championships. And was then found out to not be very good at all because that squad was incredibly mediocre. Um, Setoridis, he's a, he's definitely a contender. Uh, okay, he didn't move. He had been Newcastle before that. Isn't it mad the way you just forget? Like Nico Stabi's ass, completely forgot he was at. Newcastle for five years and Leicester for two. Um, Dallas, you didn't move. You're fine. Yeah, we've got the guy. We're going to go with Jorkas Setaridis. Moved from Panikonitos to Porto. Flopped. Dinamo Moscow flopped. I remember him at Atletico Madrid and he was awful. And then back to Panic and Ito. So you're in. So we've got a uh, bit of a lopsided team. We've got Ingol, Carlos Roja. We've got the, the Greek chap whose name I can't pronounce. Uh, Torben Picnic and Stefan Schwartz as a defensive three. Paborski, Diaw, Jensen or Jensen. And Dumitrescu in midfield, Amakachi, Givarsh, and Diof up front. There you go. There's a garbage 11 for you all day long. We'll wrap with my favorite part of the day, which is the gossip. See what time or what effort people have put into feeding us lies today. Napoli have been linked with Manchester United Ford. Cristiano Ronaldo, but director Cristiano Guntoli has ruled out signing the Portugal International because they don't want him, because it was only ever nonsense that had them linked. Uh, Liverpool are the latest side to be linked with Bruno Gomes, but face competition for him. I think there's a buyout in that contract <clears throat> next summer. I think there's a buyout in that contract. Chelsea are looking at Inter Milan and Netherlands, Denzel Dumfries will get linked from here until the day he passes away. 
to Chelsea by crap journalists who really have nothing better to be doing with themselves. Um, Real Madrid, Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City and Liverpool all want to sign Jude Bellingham. There's breaking news. Tottenham are preparing to offer Pierre-Emile Heusberg a new contract. Probably the right decision. Inter Milan president Stephen Zhang says Milan Skriniar is not for sale and he is confident the 27-year-old will stay. He's out of contract at the end of this season. Arsenal are planning a transfer spree and are hoping to bring in Danilo from Palmeiras for $26 along with Michalo Mudrik and Jeremy Pino. So Arsenal are going to spend $125 in January? Is that what you're telling me? Tottenham could let Jaffa Tanganga and Brian Hill leave in January while also loaning out Jed Spence. Juventus are aiming to secure 19-year-old English winger Samuel Illing Jr. on a new deal. He came off the bench against Benfica and made two goals and looked really impressive. Arsenal have held preliminary talks with Edu, blah, blah, blah. Everton are interested with in a move for Daniel Pedence. It's Football Insider, so it's almost certainly tripe. Uh, it's Wayne VC, so it's definitely tripe. Um, Nottingham Forest are planning to spend between 50 and 100 million in the January transfer window. Again, it's Wayne VC, so it's tripe. Barcelona hope to sign a replacement for Sergio Busquets in January. I doubt it. Manchester City have signed highly rated 17-year-old Emilio Lawrence from Manchester City. Very, very highly regarded young player, uh, young Scott. Not really sure how Everton have allowed that to happen. Really not sure how Everton have allowed that to happen. Manchester are keeping close tabs on Leeds 23-year-old United States midfielder Tyler Adams. Once again, it's Football Insider. This time, it's once again Wayne VC. So we can once again say crap. Crap. Sources have told Football Insider. Sources. So this fellow would like you to believe that he has broken... Three major stories in one day that United want Tyler Adams, that Forrest are going to spend between 50 and 100 million in January, and that Everton are interested in Daniel Pedence. Most journalists don't break three stories in a month. This fellow thinks he breaks three in a day. Right, that'll do. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye. Podcast Network.